You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 54 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with just one co-host this week, Alex Hobson. We're a man down starting on the PK this week, but we have a ton to talk about. We've got hockey back. The Leafs played their first preseason game against the Montreal Canadiens. But let's start it off with you. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> so... um I'm doing all right. I mean, we, uh, we, 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 we've gotten kind of into this rhythm of recording every Sunday night, and that typically happens to me when my, uh, uh, after my ball hockey game finishes. I usually play ball hockey every Sunday, and uh, we, <laughs> uh, we, we're 0-4 right now, so we, we, we've been kind of humbled to start the season. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a, yeah, a, little bit of a tough start for us. But, uh, yeah, unless anything changes, you'll probably be hearing something to the, to the effect of that when you ask me how I'm doing every Sunday. There you go. There you go. That's yeah. a good good way to start the week. And yeah, you mentioned uh, Sunday nights seem to be our, our time to, to get together and record. Um, a little bit later this week, obviously, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. But um, unfortunately, like I mentioned, Peter, Peter not with us this week, man down, um, you know, sitting on the IR as we get, get the preseason <laughs> underway here. But um, shout out to Peter. Obviously, we'd love to have him with us. But uh, yeah. Big week for us, big week for the, the Maple Leafs, and um, they got things, they kind of kick things off. But before we get to them, uh, I should mention our guest today is Nick Richard, um, great writer, uh, does a lot of prospect work as well. Um, so we had, a, we had a great time talking to him. He's, he's I should say, down east uh, in, in Nova Scotia. So he's got the, he's got the views and, and all that kind of stuff going on out there. If you haven't been out there, you definitely have to go. He's got the ideas too of uh, potentially linking up with the uh, Lamenting Leafs podcast and doing a live episode out east sometime. I think that'd be a, that'd be a lot of fun. That's right. That's right. Break down the walls, maybe play a little golf. I know you, you and Peter and I talked about it, and and we we'd be a hack job out there, but that's all right. Oh man, I I only like golfing with other <laughs> hack jobs because if I I find that if I'm out there golfing with people who are actually good at it, I I just end up be becoming a liability. I just piss them off because I'm. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know they're 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 way ahead of me and i'm sitting there on the off the drive just fucking sending it 500 feet into the woods so I, i'm not going to be a sandbagger here so i am probably i want to say I'm a, I'm a bogey golfer so I'll, I'll be i'll be in the plus 18 plus 20 range by the by the time you play 18 so um you know that it helps that a couple years ago i got out like 54 times through the summer so that definitely yeah, changed the game right. a little bit but yeah, see, I just started, this was realistically my first full summer playing golf. Like I started playing kind of in September last year, but uh, obviously then right away it was, we were already into fall and the weather was getting colder and I didn't really get out too often. So this summer is my first main one. And actually funny story. Um, I went golfing last weekend and I, the two guys that I was with are pretty, they were pretty good golfers. Like they're buddies of mine, but like they so they didn't care. Like they were okay with me being the liability and, you know, dragging them down and stuff. But, uh, I set up on the tee from, and, uh, I, I go to make my first drive 
And, you know, it, it, when I'm like once every 10 times, I'll probably get a good drive in there. But then the other nine is like I said, it's either 500 feet into the woods or this time in particular, I somehow whacked the ball back off my own ankle <laughs> off the drive. And my buddies were like, you're defying the laws of physics, bud. And I was like, yeah, that's how bad I am. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know one. We had one round uh, a few years back where we were in Collingwood and uh, my, my wife's uncle he uh, he teed one up, put it right through right through his legs into the forest. <laughs> so next shot, Marshall rolls up and he does the exact same shot right through his right through his legs into the woods, and he throws his club up in the air. And the marshal says, "Well, I, I don't think I've ever seen a shot that that uh, precise in my life." <laughs> and I, you know it's bad when the marshal's chirping you. You know right. that it's bad, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're beyond the point of no return there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but uh, no, that'd definitely be a great trip and, and hopefully we can make it work at some point. Yeah. Um, but uh, hockey news, like I said, we'll make this a quick episode, obviously with Peter out of uh, commission. Um, hockey news, Kaprasov signs, the Sabres signed Darlene and Merzlikin signs. So Kaprasov, five years, 45 million. Merzlikin's five years, 27 million. Um, Darlene is there long-term in Buffalo and speaking of Buffalo, we're going to have to get into the Eichel talk, but first off, what do you think of those three signings? Um, the Kaprizov contract, I understand because, you know, he pretty much single-handedly brought exciting hockey back to Minnesota this year after, after years and years of, you know, milking that core of Ryan Suter and Zach Parise into the ground and they, they've obviously kind of lost a step over the past couple of years. So Kaprizov was great for uh, the marketing aspect and great for obviously his team's success last year. But I will say that is a pretty hefty price tag to pay for a guy who's only played what, like 50 games for you. Mm-hmm. It's like, and you know what, truth be told, I shouldn't really be in the position to be commenting on this because you know, as Leaf fans, we know better than anyone what it's like when, when you've got a young star and you got to, you, you sometimes you got to, pull out the blank check to keep him around. And so I, I do understand why the wild pulled that signing off, but I, at the same time, yeah, I don't know, five years at 9 million for a guy who's only played 50 games in the NHL. That's a pretty hefty gamble to make, but obviously they trust him. So. Yeah. I think for me, the, the Kaprizov signing, it, it's, I, I understand it because I think with, with individual uh, accolades, like, you know, obviously the Calder trophy, all of a sudden your price tag does go up a little bit. That said, um, you know, this is a guy who kind of pushed your, or, or pulled your arm a little bit and saying that he's going to go to the KHL if he doesn't get the contract that he wants. And to me, that move, you're not a team player at that point. And then after he signs it, he comes back and he says, Oh, well, you know what? Like I was never planning on going back to the KHL. It's, it's kind of like a shot in the nuts for, for like a guy like Billy Guerin, right? Like yeah. this is a guy who's, you know, made a career of being a, a tough player on the ice and you get, you, you know, your arm twisted a little bit by this, by this, you know, rookie of the year that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you said, played 50 some odd games for you over the, over the season. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the not a, the whole not a team player thing because I don't know if you ever heard that interview that Marcus Foligno did on Checklets a while back, but apparently Kaprizov in training camp, um, he, he apparently accidentally uh, they, I guess they had him groups with uh, some of the some of the depth players in their in their I guess mini training camp that they had before the season started, 
And apparently he accidentally sent the text to the entire team group chat saying, I think it was supposed to go to his agent, but he sent a text to his entire team saying, why the fuck am I out there with fucking fourth liners and shit like that? I want to play with the good players. And yeah. Yeah. And then Marcus Foligno on the pod, he, he seemed to like, he seemed to, you know, just be laughing about it. Like, okay, whatever. Like, we know this isn't how this guy really is. But, like, it is just funny that you mentioned that whole not a team player thing because that's not the first time his name's kind of been brought up in, a, in an instance like that. No, and I, and I get it. Like, in that same interview, Felino said that, like, he's a gamer, right? Like, he's a guy that wants to go out there and be the best and, and play with the best and train with the best. And yeah, he, he sees himself as getting better that way. But the way I look at it is, one, this guy made you wait a long time before he even came over after you drafted him Two, um, you know, throws the KHL thing out there. And then also yeah. like now, like you said, this came out on chicklets a little while back, but um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, there's just a lot of pieces there that, yeah, you know what? He's still young. He's still immature, but yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of money to get to, to lock up in this guy and, and you better hope to hell that he can put up the same numbers that he's put up in his, in his rookie season. If, if you want to keep him, you know, keep that dollar amount worth it, I guess. Yeah. And I think the one thing that would make me feel better about it, if I was Bill Guerin is the fact that, you know, best case scenario, you've got this guy and Marco Rossi playing alongside each mm-hmm. other for years to come. And that's going to be an absolutely filthy duel when the two of them play mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of, a lot of great talent in that pipeline, obviously Jesper Wallstad, uh, this, this season as well. Uh, they, they drafted him and uh solid pickup late in the first round. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, uh, Minnesota is going to be fun to watch obviously for the next, uh, next five years, they've got Kat Kaprizov, uh, signed, um, and, and we'll see how that turns out. But, um, I want to go to Rasmus Dahlin real quick because three years, 18 million, carries a cap hit of 6 million. Obviously this is a team that, you know, there's a lot of storylines surrounding this team going into the season. My thoughts on this deal are one, it's still relatively team friendly considering what defensemen went for this, this off season, partially because Darlene's not exactly proven himself to be that number yeah. one guy yet. Mm-hmm. But also I think it's a, it's a player friendly deal in the fact that you look, it's three years. Um, it gives Buffalo a chance to really, you know, figure out if they're going to piece things together or, or if they're going to go in the direction where, you know, Darlene kind of steps back and says, okay, you know, I signed my three years. I'm ready to go somewhere else. I'm ready to try and win. Yeah. I mean, I I like the deal personally, because I think Darlene is actually a lot better than he gets credit for. I think he just has the drawback of playing in fucking Buffalo over the past couple of years. I mean, and you know what? I, I I truthfully, I I say that, but I feel bad for Sabres fans because they, they're great fans. They're they're passionate. They are great fans. And I, like I, I I mentioned this last time around, I'm in the Niagara region. So I know I know a lot of Sabres fans and they, they don't deserve the sheer hell that their team has put them through. But then on the other hand, I remember that I'm a Leafs fan, so I don't really, I don't, I don't care. Yeah, you can suffer too. I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a veteran to this. But uh, yeah, I, I'm going back to what I was saying. I do think Darlene is a lot better than he gets credit for. And like you said, I mean, there's a three-year window there and it'll give the Sabres three years to kind of figure out what they're, what they're doing and if they're trending in the right direction. And if they're not, oh, man, if they have to, if, if, they, if they end up having to move Rasmus Darlene, Oh, that's, oh man. I, I I don't even want to think about that. That's, <laughs> I would hate to be in that position if I were, if I were the Sabres right there. But I, I mentioned it, uh, I think it was on 
the Hawks Raiders uh, prospect show a little while ago it, it, before the draft happened. And we talked about who they should take with the first overall pick. And I think I went with William Eklund. And the reason being is that, yeah, Owen Power is a great stud defenseman, probably going to be a number one, number two in this league. But mm. at what point do you say, okay, the whole reality right now in Buffalo is Jack Eichel's gone. Yeah. He's not a, he's not a part of your team anymore. Your pipeline is not as, as, you know, filled as maybe some of the other teams in terms of what, what your talent level is. Yeah. Why are you not going with a forward with the number one pick? And I, I get the Owen power pick. I, I do understand it, but now, now you've got Owen power, Rasmus Dahlin. They're not going to put up 40, 50 goals for you. Yeah. And what you need in Buffalo right now is goals and goaltending. You don't, you, your back end, you can figure it as you, as you go. You need to start growing that, that team from the front and from the, from the crease. No, you're absolutely right. And I, it's funny you bring that up because I had pretty much the exact same take around the draft. I was thinking that uh, I, I, I didn't use Eklund though. I, I remember making a case that uh, the Sabres could potentially draft Matthew Beneers because Beneers, obviously, he's not as dynamic and flashy as Eklund is, but he does give off a vibe kind of like a Patrice Bergeron or a Jonathan mm-hmm. Taves, like that number one center who's not going to blow you away offensively, but he's going to be that guy that you can build around and you can trust in all situations. He's got the leadership aspects as well. So I, I do see where you're coming from. Coming from, I mean, as of now, if the with the Sabres moving Jack Eichel, who is their best offensive prospect? Would it be Jack Quinn? Like, Yeah, I mean... I- <sighs> Like that's what I mean. Their 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 depth up front is not there. there. Yeah, no, it's not. So uh, that like like I said, I you know it's it, it's a scary time right now to be a Buffalo Sabres fan. And I mean, first you go through if you're if you're living in Buffalo, first you go through this ordeal of being a Bills fan for how many years, and and now you're sitting there still wondering if the Sabres are ever going to put it together. I you know it's 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 a scary time for for them in terms of you know, spending the money to go see games and, and whether it becomes worth it at a certain point. So, yeah, um, we will touch on, on Buffalo again in a second, but Merzlikens five years, roughly 5.4 million per season, 27 million over those five years. This is a guy who's played 500 hockey over his 61 regular season games. So 21, 21 and 13, uh, 254 goals against and a 920 save percentage, but he has vowed to go out and win the Vesna this season. Is this guy? Is this a goaltender that's worth 5.4 million? I would I would think so, yeah. And especially since the contract isn't overly long term, like I think it would be a little. I mean, truthfully, if he pans out and he becomes this elite goaltender like everybody uh, is kind of expecting him to be, especially this season, then you could make the argument that five mil over seven eight years would be a great deal. But the fact of the matter is he's still relatively unproven at this point. Like I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't say he's overly unproven, but like because we have seen we have seen spurts of him, we have seen how good he's he's been in his limited sample size. And I think it was a gamble worth taking for them. And I will go on record right now and say that I am full blown rooting for Merz Lakins to take home the Vezina this year. Like it's it's not even one of those things for me where it's like, you know. I'll, I'll kind of cheer for him, but like, you know, if say Jack Campbell's in the same position, I obviously want Campbell to win it. But like this year, if, if it came down to Campbell and Merzlikens, I'd want Merzlikens to win it. Cause in the end it's a trophy and it's, it's something that would mean so, so much more to him than it would to anybody else. And it would just, I mean, Columbus, we, we talked about them in our Metro division preview. They're not really in a position where they're going to be making any noise towards the playoffs. So 
if Merzlikens could take home the Vezina on a team like that, um, I, I don't know how anybody could get upset about that. I mean, paying homage to pretty much his little brother, not by blood, but a guy that he's lived with for years and a guy that hailed the hail from the same country. They're in the same organization. Like he essentially did lose a family member. So I'm, I'm, I really am rooting for him this year and I hope that he, uh, he stands tall for uh, Matthias. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. I think that one, it's a great storyline Two, I mean, from a media standpoint, obviously that's something that we would love to write about, but, but two, like you said, I think it would mean so much more to him. Um, you know, it, it, it comes down to like, he's, he set a goal in his mind in, in terms of, you know, making this, this, as you said, a family member that he lost, you know, this is, this is going to be, be so much to him. And, and unfortunately, you know, Columbus is in a, in a position where they, you know, they're not going to make noise. They're not going to be a, a dominant team. And, and it's too bad because it, you know, it would, would have been nice to see him, you know, backstop maybe a, a John Tortorella team that played that, that tough knit kind of hockey in front of him. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately that's not going to be the case this season, but like you said, if he can go out there and he can win it on a team like this, um, you know, it makes that entire contract, I think, worth it at that point. And, and you know, it is only five years. Um, those five years are going to fly by. And, and as expected, over the next three to five years, the cap will go up. So this is going to be a minuscule yeah. deal compared to, you know, what we're looking at now at $5.4 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people, and I include myself in this as well, tend to forget about the fact that the cap is continually rising. Yeah. And obviously it hasn't really in the past <laughs> year or so because of COVID, but you know, that, that is definitely something to keep in mind when you're judging a contract. I mean, you can, it's easy to look at the dollar value and say, Oh, that's way too much, or he's not worth that. But if you can, if, if you have more money to work with, it, it probably is worth it. So I, I'm guilty of that too, but yeah, it's definitely an aspect worth keeping an eye on when you're looking at contracts. Well, it's the same as the Nylander contract. I mean, like a lot of, a lot of Leaf fans forget that when these big deals were signed for the court four, it was not, you know, the expectation was that the cap was going to continue to rise. Yeah. And that's why now it looks like bad deals for guys like JT and guys like Matthews and guys like Marner and, and mm-hmm. Nylander. But realistically, had the cap continued to grow the way that it was supposed to, these these contracts wouldn't be as as, as enormous as they as they are now to to a team that you know is struggling cap wise, right? But the big story from the week, Jack Eichel, and I feel like we just beat on the the Buffalo oh. Sabers so much. Um, we kind of expected this, failed his physical. I think the part that a lot of people did not expect, maybe right away, is that the team came out and stripped him of his captaincy as well. Um, and uh, I saw I saw one tweet out there by I think is uh, Ian McLaren um, does the Locked On Bruins podcast, and he took the C's out of Jack Eichel's name, so it was like J A K, and then I hope I I I guess I hope I hope yeah <laughs> yeah maybe so. I-hole. Um, anyways, it was, it was just one of those clever tweets that you come across and you you just can't help but laugh to yourself. But this whole situation is just such a, such an absolute debacle. I mean, um, you know, here's a guy who's supposed to be a franchise player when he was drafted. It was, it was, you know, he could have very well gone first overall and they can't still right now. They cannot agree on how to properly, um, you know, how to properly get him healthy so that he can play again. And, you know, obviously fail the physical. He's not going to be playing again this season. Um, surgery is 
definitely going to be what, you know, the avenue that they take now it's just depending on what surgery he gets. And, and they're still at such a loss that, you know, I, I, I'm at, I don't really don't have much to say about this situation anymore because it's, it's been so long winded. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I, anything that I'm going to say, I, I probably said last week and I probably said two weeks ago and I probably said three weeks ago, we're just, we're just, like you said, we're beating a dead horse with this, with this story. We've been repeating ourselves over and over. I just, you know what, one, one week later with this new development of them stripping him of the captaincy, I will say that, I do understand why they did because Absolutely. you can't be, you can't be going into a season with, you know, with your, your main voice in the locker room being a guy who's not even going to be playing because he can't figure out his surgery um, dispute with the Sabres. But at the same time, Oh man, for them to just come out and do it in that instance. And like the way that they did it, I just, I, 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 I keep, uh, I, mean, I can't even fucking put together a sentence here. <laughs> I, I, I truthfully, I just, I, I always, I just had multiple strokes. I, I can't, I'm going to throw it back to you Forbes while I try and figure out what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> what, what I want to say is that I think at a certain point they should, they should have done it when he requested a trade. When there, when there was the speculation that he wanted out of Buffalo, that's when you go to him and say, look, we don't want a guy who doesn't want to be here to be the voice of our team. Mm-hmm. And that's when they should have taken away, not go through the whole process of, Hey, we're going to do your preseason physical. You're going to fail it. We're going to strip you of the captaincy. I mean, like beat this kid as hard as you can possibly beat him. And I've said to, I've said to Peter before on this show that he wants out because I think he understands that at a certain point, you're taking a, what could, could have possibly, and still could possibly be a <laughs> hall of fame career. And you're wasting yeah. it away in Buffalo where there is a lack of trust there's a lack of acknowledgement in, in, in the fact that, you know, he wants to go a certain route and they're basically holding him out of his prime years. And and this is going to be, he could possibly go down as one of the, I'm not going to say worst second overall picks, but one of the most Most wasted, most wasted second overall picks in NHL history. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I figured out what I was trying to say before my brain just short cir- short circulated there as Ricky from trailer park boys would say, but, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, every time I think, okay, there's no possible way that Sabres management and Kevin Adams could tarnish the relationship with Jack Eichel further. They, they go ahead and they prove me wrong every single time. And it's just like, well, like I was saying before with the timing of them stripping him of the captaincy and the fact that he failed his physical and he's not going to be, probably not going to play much at all this year if at all you know it's just I I, I at this point it, I, I'm just tired of speculating on it I feel bad for Sabres fans that they're still having to hear about this every single day just I, I just want the situation to resolve itself already honestly I'm just getting I'm getting so sick of hearing about it and talking about it I just I want Eichel to get his ass out of Buffalo for once and for all and we can get his surgery and we can just move on the Sabres can restart and yeah, that's, that, that's all, that's all that I have to say on this topic. Well, and, and on top of that, like you've, like you've taken a guy who obviously is not going to be there and, and could have had so much value and you've, you, you've stripped him of the value as well. You, you want to yeah. talk about this team's pipeline. I mean, you're not going to get nearly what you could have got for a Jack Eichel if you had traded him right when he asked for a trade. 
No. Oh my God, he, dude. He like there was a time when he was included in the same conversation as Connor McDavid. Yeah. And obviously, one player is clearly better than the other there. But at the same time, could you imagine what a what a package for Connor McDavid would look like these days? I, I don't. I truthfully, I, I truthfully don't know if there's even a deal you could put together that no. that the Oilers would win if they were to trade Connor McDavid. And truthfully, I would have said the same thing about Eichel too. But at this point, you're right. The value is just, oh, the the value is just horrible at this point. And there's no chance that the Sabers are going to get even a fraction of what they could have gotten for him if they did this a year ago. No, not even close. Not even close. And again, and here's a guy that's going to miss out on you know possibly the possibility of playing for for the U.S. at the Olympics. Now, um, mm-hmm. I, again, another wasted opportunity. Uh, it, it, it really is just a sad situation for Eichel it for is. Buffalo fans. Um, but, uh, anyways, enough about Buffalo. Uh, you know, we kind of <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we kind of beat beat on them every episode. So. <laughs> Yeah, tune in. Tune in next week for this same segment about 15 minutes in our our, our weekly shit on Buffalo segment. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, international hockey though, Women's World Cup is going to be held in Olympic years. Um, that's big news. Obviously, big two big tournaments held in the same year. I think that's great for women's hockey. Again, yeah. that's something that we love to see. We love to see the the continued growth of women's hockey. Um, Still don't like the rebranding, but hey, we're gonna have to live with that. Um, and and uh, I I did talk to you prior to the show. Um, Kurt, Curtis Greek Gabriel, obviously a huge advocate, huge um, voice in the hockey community. And uh, there was a there was a instance in um, the UHL, I believe it was, where yeah. a, a, one player made a gesture at another player, obviously peeling a banana and eating it. Um, and obviously a, a racial, a racial, uh, gesture, one that, uh, you know, obviously is not welcome in the game and should not be welcomed anywhere. Um, and, and well, Curtis Gabriel did, uh, did, I want to say, say it perfectly on Twitter, how, how he felt about the, the instance. I, I just wanted to get your take on it as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I saw one tweet that really put into perspective how fucked up it was. And it came from Donovan Bennett and he goes, he looked way, way too comfortable making that gesture right there. Like it was not the first time that he's done something like that. And, you know, we, we, we've talked on this podcast about, you know, Tony D'Angelo and Logan Mayu and all these, all these guys who have been under fire for stuff like that. And they all like, they, like they're all their own situations. And we all kind of said the same thing about them. Like you can't be letting that happen in the game. You got to like sends the wrong message when you let shit like that fly. But like this situation more than any of them, like you, you have to give them a lifetime ban from the game, man. You got to set an example. And I, I don't care if that's aggressive or anything like that. Like, and, and truth be told, this isn't going to happen obviously because it's out in Ukraine and no one, I, I can't see, I can't see the double IHF stepping in here and really like twisting their arm on this and making him do something about that. I, it just seems like something they wouldn't waste their time with. Well, no, I won't say waste their time. It wouldn't see from their perspective. It doesn't seem like something that they'd be, they'd be jumping to do, which is super unfortunate. But if I'm, if I'm in their position, I'm giving that guy a lifetime ban, man. Like, you know, the, the, it's just one of those things. And then he, he put out this bullshit Instagram post after saying like, I'd like to apologize. And then he, he finishes it off and he, you know, it was a total typical half-assed fucking apology saying, you know, I, uh, and I'm sorry. I, I, I don't have problems with any people of other races or I, I don't even want to repeat it because it was just so 
full of shit. But either way, he finishes it off by saying, unfortunately, the emotions get the better of me sometime in hockey. And I don't know about you, but I played hockey for years. Not once when I got pissed off in a game did I ever feel the need to say something racist or homophobic or anything like that. Yeah. So, and that, I think that really sheds light on the fact that it's like, no dude, I mean, yeah, emotions get high in hockey. We all know that. I think anyone who's played hockey, regardless of what level you played or that knows that hockey, like emotions, <laughs> the emotions are at an all time high when you're in a hockey game like that and you're, you're chirping other guys and things, but that's not an excuse to do something like that. And until it's just, it's sad to say because <sighs> You just you you know that this is gonna keep happening, and we we got to do everything we can to spread the message that shit like that is not appropriate in hockey, and it's it is unfortunate because it is it does serve as a reminder that there's still lots of work to be done in uh, improving hockey culture because uh, uh, the, the the gentleman who was uh, the victim of that uh, that that racial gesture there uh, obviously doesn't deserve it. He's worked hard. He's he's tr- he's just trying to make a career in this game like everybody else, and uh, it, it it's just you hate to see shit like that. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't have said it better. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to give them a lifetime ban. I think they should. I think until they make an example of somebody, whether it's in the the Ukraine or or fucking Sweden or any anywhere like that, make an example of a player and, and let let people know that this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be in hockey, whether it be, you know, we're we're in twenty twenty one. Like, yeah, what is it going to take for people to understand that this is, you know, you don't need a, you don't need this extra bullshit and this extra stress in your life. You know, whether you're white, black, yellow, purple, green, I like, I don't give a shit what color you are. At the end of the day, you know, this is, you're a human being and you've got feelings. And I'm like you, I played hockey. The testosterone's flowing. Um, The emotions are flowing. You know, I'm going out there. I'm going to hit somebody. I'm not going to, you know, I'll lay lay the body. I'll I'll get into a scrap, whatever it is. You know, I'll give him a little slash on the back of the leg if I have to but I'm not going to go out there and, and start yelling homophobic things. I'm not going to y- start yelling racist things. I'm not going to start doing these, these ridiculous gestures that, you know, no. at the end of the day, you know, what, what did that, what did that accomplish? What did it accomplish? It made, it made you look like a fucking asshole. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I agree with you. The, the apology afterwards, how difficult is it to just put a little bit of sincerity into your, into your message? You know, forget the Instagram post. Go out, find a microphone, find a camera because they're all waiting outside your room, waiting to yeah. hear what you have to say and say what you have to fucking say. Don't, the unfor- don't go on your phone. Yeah, the unfortunate part is that there was no sincerity in that because he's not sincere about it. Absolutely. Like he, he, he's, he's, he's fucking apologizing because he got caught just like everybody else in the situation like this. You're, you're apologizing because the microscope's on you and you have, like, you know you have to say something. You're not apologizing because you actually feel bad for it. Otherwise, I think we would have seen a much different outcome in this situation if he was sincerely sorry. If he was sincerely sorry and he sincerely didn't mean it, he wouldn't have fucking said it in the first place. Yeah. Because, like I said, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I hate it when people use that excuse for guys who, you know, say racist shit on the ice or do do those racist gestures or anything like that. I hate it when they use the excuse of all the emotions were at an all time high. It's like, yeah, everybody's emotions are high, but you don't see all of us going out and saying shit like that or doing shit like that. Like, it's just, it, it, it's such an easy cop out for people like that to say, Oh, I I swear I didn't mean it. I was just playing hard. And you know, when you play hockey, it's like, yeah, we've all fucking played hockey. We don't say shit like that. 
Yeah. Like, let me, let me put it this way too. Like in, in the past few years, one, we're living, we're all living through a pandemic. Our emotions are high. Our frustrations are high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, though some, some believe what's going on is real. Some don't. And, and the stress levels are, are at, at an all time high yep. Two, you, you, you know, you had the George Floyd stuff happen in the States and, and the, the black lives matter movement. Um, you had the, the residential school discoveries that have happened across the, across Canada. Um, you know, the, the focus right now is so, so much on making it, you know, a world that's more accepting of everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you see this, this scumbag out on the fucking ice doing whatever the hell he wants to do because he thinks it's appropriate to make that kind of gesture towards somebody. It's, yeah. it, it's actually mind numbing to, to, to see something like that because it's like, here's the rest of the world trying or, or, or the majority of the world trying to take those steps in the right direction. And the reason we keep getting bumped back is because idiots like this can't think for two seconds before they make some stupid gesture. Mm-hmm. I, it's, I mean, I, like I said, I think Curtis Gabriel said it perfectly. Um, I love, I love the, 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 the tweet that you quoted as well uh, from Donovan Bennett, uh, another great follow. He's, he's very involved in all the, the, the racial movements and all that stuff as well, because he, he's experienced the same shit that this guy, this, this player on the ice, you know, delivered yeah. to the other player. Like nobody should have to feel that way. Nobody right. should have to be in fear of walking out of their apartment one day and, and just, possibly you know you know being attacked or what what have you right like verbally physically whatever yeah and you know that's the sad part too is that you you know we we this this guy is obviously under the microscope because he was caught on camera and then world hockey organizations have like they get they they obviously found out about it and they tweeted about it and um the shitty part about it is that yes, he's under the microscope, but this shit happens daily in so many arenas and so many rinks. I've seen it happen. I played minor hockey. I, I I've heard homophobic. Not I, actually, yeah, I have heard homophobic and racial slurs before when I've played, and it's just like the only difference is that they're not under. They're not on camera. They're not the ones that are mic'd up and getting caught, or they're not the ones in playing in front of a camera to capture the moment when they're doing these things. So it's just. It's unfortunate. And it, again, it just does show that there is so much work to be done to revamp this hockey culture because you, you know that this guy, I, it's unfortunate to say, but this guy's probably not going to get that lifetime ban. Like you said, he's probably going to continue playing hockey and continue trying to make a career doing that just like everybody else. But um, so it goes to show there's no repercussion. There's no repercussions for shit like this. And it's, it's unfortunate, but there's, there's still work to be done. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and uh we we obviously won't mention his name because I don't think he's deserving of that. But um, uh, we'll we'll just move on from that and hopefully hopefully we see at some point some some sort of repercussions for this kind of action in not just hockey but in general. Um, we need it. It needs to happen. And you know we we like I said, Curse Gabriel said it perfectly, and and we stand by that as well here at the podcast. So. Uh, before we jump over to our Maple Leaf news, I do want to throw it to our guest, Nick Richard, Director of North American Scouting for Dauber, Dauber Prospects and writer for the Leafs Nation, also co-hosting Lamenting Leafs podcast. Let's hear from Nick Richard now. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are very, very pleased to welcome our guest to the show for today. He is a writer for the Leafs Nation and the Director of North American Scouting for Dauber Prospects. Nick Richard, welcome to the show, man. 
Hey guys, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Doing great, man. Uh, we're super excited to have you on and uh, kind of pick your brain about prospects and uh, the upcoming NHL season and everything we've got to look forward to and dread over the next 10 months or so. So uh, <laughs> this yeah. will be a lot of fun for sure. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Um, so I guess we can just start off with a general question here. Obviously, development camp just wrapped up. Uh, any guys that caught your eye and any guys you would have liked to see more from? I think uh, the obvious answer is Nick Robertson. He looked like he was on another level compared to the, the rest of the guys on the team there. It was pretty obvious that he's a guy that's got a little bit of NHL experience under his belt. He kind of carried himself that way. Uh, the one thing I'll say is he sort of maybe leaned into that a little bit too much. And I think uh, it'll be important to kind of see him use his teammates a little more and not try to do so much all on his own heading into the main camp here. But I don't think that's going to be a problem once he's playing with, you know, a little more talent on his line. Uh, other, sorry, go ahead, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, other than him, I really liked uh, Mikhail Abramov. I think he had a really strong showing heading into his first pro season. He's a guy I've, I've really liked following uh, during his junior, day, uh, junior career in Victoriaville. Just captained the team to a Q League title last season. Uh, he's, he's really kind of rounded out his game the last few years. I think when the Leafs drafted him in the fourth round a few years ago, he was considered kind of a, a soft skill playmaker type. Uh, he's refined his shot, become more of a dual threat offensively in the last couple of years improved his off puck play. I think he's going to inject some uh, offensive firepower to the Marlies this year and they need it after last year. So fun story. My, uh, my final season of playing house league for most of the season, I played on a line with uh, a guy who had just come down from triple a and he was making me look like how Robertson looked at development camp. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah nice was... to see a little bit of fire at a Robertson mm -hmm. there in that last game too, getting into the mm -hmm. scuffle the, you know, five-minute major heading into overtime is not ideal, but you, you like to see the heart. <laughs> yeah, as long as he keeps – sorry, go ahead, Forbes. I was, I was just going to say, Peter, I mean, that was, that was like the fire that maybe the Maple Leaf fans wanted that we never saw with a lot of our prospects in the past before, seeing that energy and determination that he's not going to take anything from nobody. Yeah, and especially for a guy his size, like it, he's going to have to be willing to take those battles on when guys are trying to get physical with him and push him around in front of the net because – you know, he takes the puck into those dangerous areas, and that's part of what makes him successful. So he's going to have to be dealing with that his whole career as an undersized player. I'm actually glad you brought up his size because uh, we noticed that not only did his height change, it go increase a little bit uh, this offseason, but his uh, his overall weight did as well. And, uh, yeah. you know, one of the biggest things coming out of the uh, out of the uh, rookie camp is, uh, you know, Haley Wickenheiser saying basically tone it down a little bit, Nick. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? And is that something that you want to see or is that you want to see more of the fire and the edge that he's playing with, you know, to the tail end of that uh, that rookie camp? Um, I think that maybe Haley's comment was taken a bit out of context in the first place. I think that she didn't really mean for him to be dialing back his intensity, and I don't think he's really capable of that anyway, at least from what we've seen <laughs> yeah. early yeah, in his, for sure. his career. Um, he said it himself. He doesn't even know what a dial back Nick Robertson would look like. So <laughs> I think what Wickenheiser was referring to was more so kind of letting the game come to him a little bit, maybe not chasing it so much. It, you love the motor, but it, you don't really want to be constantly chasing play and, and taking yourself out of your lane and, and where you're supposed to be. So I think that that's maybe what she was alluding to a little more, just kind of letting the game come to him and, and using his teammates a little more, things like that. 
And we did see some plays where I know it was uh, probably against the Dallas Stars where, you know, he had, you know, a really great opportunity, had the puck, lost it, and led to a turnover, and it led to a goal against. Yeah. I think maybe that kind of, you know, maybe trying to do a little bit less in terms of t- dialing it back a little bit instead of, like, his on-ice intensity. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I was, uh, I was, I'm going to jump over to James Hardy because I was a big James Hardy guy going into the rookie camp and obviously didn't make the, uh, the training camp roster. But is he a guy that potentially we see get an opportunity somewhere else? Or is he a guy that maybe the Marlies look at, at, at potentially signing at some point? Um, you know, he's, he's obviously a guy that has a lot of fight in him, but maybe again, a, you know, a little undersized, didn't get the opportunity to play in the O last year. Uh, I was expecting him to get a little more opportunity during the uh, prospect tournament. I was kind of surprised that he didn't really get to play a whole lot. Um, but he's someone that the, the Leafs have kind of shown their interest in for a couple of years now, right? So I, I wouldn't be surprised for them to eventually try to bring him on board with an AHL deal, maybe stash him down in Newfoundland for a little while, something like that. But yeah, you're right. He, he's a kid that's got a, a lot of talent. He can score, great shooter. Uh, I think he was someone that was a worthwhile bet to have come in for the uh, the prospect camp in the rookie tournament. But it's a little, little disappointing that he uh, didn't really get to show what he was capable of. Nick, I just so want to st- jump over to a different prospect and someone that we really haven't seen that was at the tournament. But one player that's really caught him catching my eye, and even in the past, was Topi Niemela. And it yeah. seems like he's off to a really, really hot start overseas with, in Finland. And Looking at his progression and his development right now, it seems like it's miles ahead of what maybe the Maple Leafs fans and maybe even the management are expecting. Is how 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 are you seeing his progression so far? I think that um, he he's definitely shown great progression, and I don't want to say it's not surprising because it, you know he, he's still a very young player, and the fact that he's already performing the way he is at a men's level is certainly impressive. But you go back to he had earned a, a full time job in Liga in his draft year as a 17 year old. So this isn't like necessarily a new thing for him to be excelling above his age level. And you go back to when the Leafs selected him. I believe the quote was from John Lilly, who was the director of amateur scouting at the time. Yeah. They, they said that he had some of the best defensive instincts in the draft. I think that's been really apparent you know, in the time since he's been drafted. And I think that maybe there's a little bit more of the offensive instincts to go along with it than maybe people thought initially. Uh, He's showing to be far more assertive early in the the league season this year, like on the offensive end, kind of looking more like the player we saw for Finland at the World Juniors last year where he was outstanding, earned the uh, award for best defenseman in the tournament. Getting him in the third round, especially in a situation where the Leafs traded down and were able to snag another great prospect in Roni Hervinen at the same time, that's the kind of thing that the Leafs need to be doing when they're, you know, trading away draft picks and maybe not drafting so high, you know, as a result of having a better team. Um, you know, injecting talent to the organization in that way and, you know, compiling assets in an intelligent fashion like that. You know, if you bring in a player like Topi Nimo who could eventually grow into a top four defenseman and he's someone that you picked at the top of the third round, that, that you can't ask for much more than that. And that looks to be the trajectory that Nimo is on. 
Yeah, um, it's obviously too early to say that it was a win, but I do have a gut feeling that the Hirvonen and Nimala trade for Tyler Clevin <laughs> with Ottawa is going to be one we're going to be talking about for years and years. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> early impression, early, but... <laughs> early impressions are, are pretty good on that one. Yeah, 100%. Um, so before we stray too far away from development camp, there was one more guy that I wanted to ask you about, and I know that you did a piece on him, uh, Eric Colgren. Now, he's a, he's a guy that the Leafs brought in. Obviously, he was a teammate with uh, Pontus Holmberg on the uh, championship-winning Vaxtra Lakers and didn't get to see too much of him at development camp because he was battling that knee injury or whatever it was. So yeah. I just want to know, in your opinion, where would you what, what do you think will be his role this season with the Maple Leafs organization, whether it's in the Marlies or maybe as like a third goalie even? Uh, that's a really good question because the Leafs all of a sudden have a lot of goalies in the organization, and it's it, – doesn't really seem like there's a place for all of them. But we, there's recently been some rumors kind of percolating about the potential of a, a goaltending taxi squad at the NHL level. So I think that if that's something that ends up happening, you can pretty clearly mark that spot for Michael Hutchinson, which kind of clears up the Marley's crease for Joseph Wall and Shalgren to kind of, you know, share that crease and fight for, you know, same kind of situation as Mrazek and Campbell are going to be in with the Leafs. Play the hot hand. And Wall and Shalgren are, are around the same age. And Shalgren's had more pro success to this point. So I, I think that there's a, a reality in which he kind of takes over the Marley's net this season and perhaps pushes for some time in uh, the lineup next season. I was today years old when I found out you pronounce it Shalgren, not Calgren. So yeah. do we know it <laughs> a lot of the Swedish names like uh, Oliver Shillington and stuff. Like, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I should have looked yeah. back to Shillington because I was calling him Kylington for the longest time. Man, I, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not exactly a pronunciation uh, podcast here, so our, our, uh, we we kind of make it. I, I got to shout out Kyle Cushman for that one. <laughs> yeah, jeez, oh, everything goes back to Kyle, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm going to jump to the big, the, the big club right now, because, um, today Morgan Riley mentioned that, you know, they're not going to talk, they're not going to talk a contract. They're going to kind of see how the season goes and, 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 you know, work on it from there. He's not going to really open up to the media in terms of, of how the contract discussions are going. Um, is, is this an opportunity for the Leafs to kind of see what they have on the back end? Or is, is the writing kind of on the wall for Morgan Riley? You know, obviously they're tight with the cap and, and this is something that maybe, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing him as potentially the next guy out of Toronto. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Cause you know, we've seen quite a few guys walk out the door in free agency the last few years and you, you can only do that for so long, you know, before you really start to feel it with the, the lack of assets in return. Um, yeah, with the contracts that were handed out to defensemen this offseason, that, that really kind of made it more difficult to envision a scenario where the Leafs are going to be able to afford an extension from Morgan Riley. But I, I truly believe that Morgan Riley does love being a Maple Leaf, and I think the Maple Leafs really love Morgan Riley. He's, you know, outside of the big four, I'd say he's like, you know, the next core member outside of Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, Mariner. Uh, longest serving Leaf, uh, wears a letter. He, he's been, you'd hear players in past seasons, they referred to Morgan Riley as the captain before this team had a captain. So he's obviously a really important part of the organization. I think that they'll, they'll explore every avenue to try and keep him around. But I, I kind of went on a little tangent on Twitter the other day, like 
Rasmus Sandin is going to have a huge impact on what the Leafs are going to end up doing with Morgan Riley. Not only will Sandin's performance dictate whether they're comfortable moving on from Riley, the player, it, it could dictate whether they're able to afford him at all, even if they want to keep him. Because it's not beyond the realm of possibility for Rasmus Sandin to take over on the top power play unit this year, put up a 30 to 35 point season, earn himself a bridge deal with a, you know, two to $3 million cap it. And that alone will make it really difficult to afford Morgan Riley. But it's also possible that he does that without showing he's capable of filling Morgan Riley's even strength minutes. So it's a really precarious situation for the Leafs. Um, I'd like to believe that Kyle Dubas has a plan (laughs) and and knows kind of how this is going to play out. Um, I I hope that we're not talking about another core piece walking out the door for nothing this summer. But this team really isn't in a position to be trading away such an important player ahead of a season that it means so much for everyone from top to bottom in the organization. And it's really difficult too, knowing that they have a solid puck moving defenseman on the back end, especially if they yeah. make a playoff run. It's hard to try and find a Morgan Riley at the trade deadline at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that he's probably been a little bit diminished by his errors, by you know the the, the Twitter sphere in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to focus on the mistakes that a guy makes, but. It, the way that he's able to drive play from the back end, he activates on the weak side in transition all the time. It just kind of spreads things out. Uh, like a lot of the things that he does to help this team are really understated. And, and I, I think that he would be a lot more difficult to replace than some people are thinking. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously easy to look at a guy's play and make the knee jerk decision to trade him and, you know, kind of apply the NHL 21 mentality to it. Of like, oh, we'll, just match, we'll just match up the trade value as long as we get a first and a prospect back. It's like, no, it's not that, it's not that easy. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's, I mean, Morgan, Wright, he's obviously a massive part of this defensive core. And I, I think if, if you're trading him, before a season like the one the Leafs are expected to have now, I think you're also in a position where you got to consider what kind of effect that's going to have on the dressing and morale. I mean, you said Absolutely. it's the yeah. longest serving Leaf and he's wearing a letter. If you just throw a guy away like that right before they're supposed to make this big playoff run, I don't think that's something that the Leafs would be comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that's probably reason number one why we haven't seen a move of that kind, like even if they don't believe they're going to be able to retain so nick I'll, uh I, okay go andrew you can go, go ahead go ahead yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um no i was just gonna throw in a question um you know basically sort of going back to nick robertson on this one but also at the same point there's like a log jam with the amount of talent that the maple Leafs have with you know josh hosang on a pto nikita gusa recently coming on um nick ritchie michael bunting um how do you see this kind of competition unfolding? Because I know that Sheldon Keith mentioned this morning during his pre- – or I should say that on Wednesday when we recorded this, um, he mentioned in his uh, press conference that, you know, he loves the competition and he loves the depth that they already have internally plus what they've already got in free agency. So how do you see this situation unfolding? Yeah, the, there's so many bodies up front and, like, so much uncertainty beyond, you know – you know the four guys that are going to play on the top two lines, right? Mm-hmm. It, now it's a matter of who's going to play with them and how the rest of the lineup is going to shake out below that. Uh, and, and there's there's a lot of question marks right now. Like, is David Kampf going to be deployed as a traditional third-line center or is he going to be used as kind of a, a matchup guy with equal minutes to a, an offensively-oriented fourth line? 
and, and then you've got all the newcomers that you mentioned, like Richie, Bunting, Kasha, and, and kids like Nick Robertson fighting to make their mark in the NHL. Uh, I, I like what Kyle Dubas had to say uh, when asked about Robertson on Wednesday morning. He said he's got no preconceived notion as to where Robertson is going to play this season and noted that the left side is wide open. So, uh, you know, with a strong camp, he could make some difficult decisions, even more difficult for the Leafs ahead of the uh, opening of the regular season. I, I think that Michael Bunting will probably be given an opportunity early on to stick on one of those top two lines just because of the style of game he plays. That doesn't really have to be the primary carrier or offensive threat on the line. He's willing to do that kind of Zach Hyman-esque work along the boards and getting to the front of the net, creating space for the other guys on the line. Um, Nick Ritchie's probably, you know, just based on the contract they gave him in comparison to some of the other guys, I think that he's probably going to be given a shot uh, alongside Tavares and Nylander, I, I would guess, if I had to say right now. Um, he could also be used on a third line uh, alongside David Kampf as well. So the, it, it's really difficult to predict how this is all going to shake out just because there has been a, a lot of turnover up front with the departures of Zach Hyman, Alex Galchenyuk, Joe Thornton, Nick Foligno, you know, the list goes on. So there, there's a lot to figure out heading into this training camp and uh, Sheldon Keefe's got his hands full in what is going to be his first actual training camp. You know, for every year for the past couple of years, I feel like we've come into training camp thinking, okay, there's there's like 12, maybe 13 or 14 forwards that'll that'll compete to make this team. And then Dubas comes in and just signs another five guys. And it's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. well, lots more competition to worry about now. But it's obviously a great problem to have. Yeah, well, it begs the question of what's going to happen to guys like Adam Brooks and Joey Anderson who are no longer waiver exempt. And I think those guys are still young enough and have shown enough that they could potentially be valuable pieces of this team down the road. And they're not guys that you want to be losing for nothing on waivers uh, ahead of the season, but th there's just only so many jobs up for grabs right now. And it looks like those guys are going to be in tough. Nick, I've got a two part question for you about Leafs nation. Cause we know how great they are on Twitter all the time. <laughs> First off, obviously with uh, Nylander's news today that he doesn't have the second vaccination, it almost, it was like everything that he did last season kind of went out the window and all of a sudden there's all this Nylander hate again. I want to get your thoughts on that, but also <laughs> I want to know what your thoughts are on Mikheyev and his rumored trade request uh, this past season. Um, obviously, you know, no, no fan base loves to see a, a player request a trade out of their city, but the Leafs seem to be sticking with him. Where does he fit into this lineup? Okay, I'll start with the Nylander thing. I, I don't think it'll surprise anyone that uh, Twitter may have jumped the gun a little bit. When the, the, the Wait, Twitter jumping came. the gun? That, that never happens. <laughs> yeah, weird, hey? Um, so, it, it, you know, it turns out that uh, Nylander says he was dealing with some medical issues of his own during the offseason that kind of delayed his ability to get vaccinated. He said it was an easy decision to take the vaccine. Nobody really focused on that part before they took the knives out. Uh, I really don't think it's a big deal. The, the thing that I'm focusing on is that he's going to be 100% vaccinated before the season uh, and the fact that he said it was an easy decision to do so. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really – it's kind of a non-story as far as I'm concerned. Um, the Mikheyev thing, however, is not really a non-story. 
um, whenever a guy asks for a trade, that story doesn't really go away until it reaches its conclusion one way or the other. Um, I don't blame the Leafs for not wanting to, to get rid of him. I don't think that he has the value around the league that would enable them to acquire comparable value in return, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I think that, you know, his perception around the league maybe isn't as high as what his value is to the Leafs on the ice with the things he's able to do is in terms of creating offense out of defense. He, like he's saddled with so many defensive zone starts and the way that he's able to transition the puck and take it up ice. And yeah, we all know he, his finishing ability leaves a bit to be desired, but uh, half the battle is creating those chances. And, and he creates a lot of chances. I actually wrote about McKayev at the Leafs nation a, a week and a half or two weeks ago now. And he had the lowest shooting percentage of any Leaf forward to score a goal last season. He shot like 6%. Like nobody really shoots 6%. So like even for a guy who takes a lot of low danger shots with the way that he gets to the net and gets into high danger areas off the rush and things like that. I think that there's a little bit of regression to the mean probably coming for him. If he shoots at like even closer to 10%, I don't think anyone's talking about his lack of finishing ability, at least not the, the way that we do now. Um, he's another guy that's going to be competing for one of those spots in the top six on the left side, I think. And perhaps the, the trade request puts a little more pressure on the Leafs to give him an opportunity in that spot. Well, I, before we let you go, um, I, I do want you to get, uh, give you a chance actually to uh, give your podcast a shout out. We always love to, to kind of cross uh, – cross advertise here so so give us uh give us a quick uh, insight into your podcast oh thanks uh yeah i co-host uh, the lamenting the leafs podcast with my good pals cam mccaffrey and keith whipple um yeah we all live on the east coast i grew up with cam we played hockey together growing up uh, actually met keith online through a mutual friend and uh, him and i have been great friends for a number of years now uh it, it's been a lot of fun we're just heading into our second season of it now and excited to ramp things up for the regular season and hope for a better ending than uh, last year. But yeah, check us out. Lamenting the Leafs. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Uh, yeah. Give us a listen. One more thing. October 1st, are you watching the Amazon prime uh, documentary? Oh, hell yeah. I think <laughs> any, uh, you know, any, true Leafs fan that tells himself they're not watching that is, is only lying to themselves. Yeah. Especially like Sid Sixero's tweet the other day about it, uh, he got to see the, the first couple of episodes mm -hmm. there. And uh, he talked about how he was impressed with the lack of, or the, uh, how much behind the scenes access they actually had, which, uh, you know, that's what it's all about for me in terms of kind of seeing what goes on in management meetings or, you know, even practice and coaching meetings and things mm -hmm. like that, you know, kind of seeing how it's made <laughs> a look behind the curtain. So I think that's going to be something that's uh, going to be really enjoyable to watch. I, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, no, from, absolutely. absolutely. From May 31st up until the day that the trailer was released, I was one of those fans. I was like, nope, there's absolutely no chance <laughs> so was I'm I, watching man. this. <laughs> and then the trailer, came, the trailer came out and I was like, oh, is that Rasmus Sandin in a race car? Okay, maybe I'll give it a watch. You know you got to. <laughs> And seeing Kyle Dubas get like even a little bit pissed off for a minute yeah, there, like yeah. that, that was enough yeah. for me. I'm back in. I got to <laughs> see this. 
Well, Nick, I am thank at my you. wits end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Nick, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate it. And obviously, uh, if you're listening to this, tune into Nick's podcast as he enters season two with his uh, co-host there as well. Uh, we hope that uh, we have a better start to the season this year for the Leafs. And hopefully at some point we can get you back on. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. It was a lot of fun coming on and chat Leafs with you. Well, like I mentioned in the uh, in the opening, Nick, uh, great scene out in Nova Scotia. That that nice wood cabin kind of vibe behind him. I love it. Um, you know, we we definitely have to take him up on that offer to make it out there at some point and and do a live broadcast. That'd be absolutely sick. Maybe maybe the Leafs will play a preseason game out there and we can all make the trip down or something like that. Oh, imagine that! I would love to watch preseason hockey out east. I'd love oh, to do it'd that. Be wild! It'd be wild. Yeah. Beers flowing, you know, you know, I'm always down for that kind of stuff. So oh, the, the, the Alexander Keith's brewery, I don't know if you've ever taken the tour Phenomenal. out there in Halifax. Oh, Phenomenal. incredible. Incredible, yeah. man. Like you literally paid 25 bucks to get shit faced. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's unbelievable. I went down there with my wife and I think that was one of like 17 breweries that we hit on our trip. And she yeah. comes back with a $60 sweater. I came back with a cooler full of beer. So I was happy. <laughs> yeah. More or less the same story for me. Yeah, no, exactly. No, they've got, uh, I think they, you know, for Canada, that's like one of the, uh, the highest breweries per capita in, in yeah. all of Canada. So uh, if you haven't made a trip down East, you definitely have to. I met some great Newfoundlanders actually at a Leaf game in Nassau Col- Coliseum. I was sitting third row behind the Leaf bench. They had traveled in from, from Newfoundland um, and great people they, you know, added us to Facebook, whatever have you. And when we were out East, they said, you know, if you're, if you're coming out to Newfoundland, let us know, you, you know, you're always welcome at our house. Phenomenal people, phenomenal yeah. people. You, know, you love the Newfies. Oh, love the Newfies. Yeah. Um, amazing. But yeah. So great, great stuff from Nick, obviously um, some, some great talk about the, what, what to expect from, from the young guns in, in the Leafs uh, organization. Um, and, and moving forward and what to expect from the Leafs this season. I think, I think he's got a lot of insight and, and obviously, you know, any prospect talk we love here mm-hmm. at the podcast, cause all three of us uh, love to love to delve in the, the yeah. prospect talk. So yeah, Nick is a, a phenomenal follow on Twitter too. I will say that. Absolutely. No, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more um, with, with that. Uh, let's, let's jump over to our Maple Leafs talk because rookie rookie tournament ends training camp opens up. We have, our first preseason game, the Leafs Habs. What t- what say you about Leafs training camp? Your first impressions? Um, well, Peter uh, touched on this in uh, on Maple Leafs Lounge today when we recorded that, and it's just I, I think the one thing that sticks out to me more than anything about training camp, and we obviously saw it in the preseason game too, was the amount of competition there is in so many different aspects. I mean. The easy one is uh, looking at the forwards because I realistically the Leafs probably have enough forwards as of now to ice six NHL lines. They've probably got they they probably got about enough players that can uh, ice it. You can you can ice a roster with six forward lines that would be able to play in the NHL. And so I love how you've got all that competition. You've got comp- You've got guys like Curtis Gabriel who probably he he probably knows that he's not going to be an everyday player in Toronto, but he's that's not slowing him down at all. And he's still working his ass off every single day, coming to coming to work and coming coming with a game plan to uh, uh, to help his team win. And I think in the preseason game, 
uh, on Saturday against Montreal, he did a great job making his presence known, obviously with his hit and his fight and his goal at the end. It was, I think it was a lot of fun. Then obviously you've got Josh Hosang there. who's on a PTO looking to turn that into a proper contract. And I think we're all rooting for that kid. I mean, it's uh he hasn't really, uh, he's had a bit of a small sample size in the NHL, but it obviously never worked out with the Islanders. And I think, you know, being uh, the second team with the Leafs being the second team that he's uh, been given a chance by, um, I think he's got a lot of motivation there. And it's, if he, he if he plays the way that he did on Sunday, uh, I think, I, I think the Leafs are going to have a hard time not signing him. Yeah, I'm going to touch on both those players because one, I think Gabriel comes with a lot of excitement too, like not just from fans, but him in general. I think he's excited to be there, obviously play for for that that organization. And and like you said, I don't think he's going to be an everyday guy, but I think he understands what his role is in the organization. And I think he's going to be a major piece for this team going forward in knowing that, you know, at some point they're going to need that toughness in the lineup. Maybe Simmons goes down at some point. Maybe, you know, they need an, an extra guy on the fourth line to, to really step it up. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, he can, he can make some plays as well. He's not, he's, he's got some, some, you know, kind of subtly good hands. Um, but you know, he, he, he knows his role and that, I think that's the key for him. Um, as for Hosang, I think for me in the preseason game, he was my standout only because he's bringing a different game from what he was drafted for. So, you know, however many years ago, right? Like this is a guy that was drafted for, pure talent alone. He was a top three talent in the, in the draft uh, in terms of his offensive skill. Um, obviously attitude was, it was a bit of an issue in, in New York. Uh, the sleeping in was obviously an issue in New York, but um, you know, this is a guy who's, who's gone to Sweden. He's uh, he's kind of revamped his, his, his approach to the game. Um, I loved his quotes. You know, I'm willing to go sharpen skates. I'm willing to go tape, you know, tape sticks, I'll start in the ECHL out in out, out mm-hmm. Newfoundland, whatever I have to do to get to, to where I want to be. And then he goes out there and he's, he's playing a physical game. He's playing a yeah. defensive game. He's, he's one of the guys sitting in front of the Leafs net in the defensive zone. And he had a few opportunities as well offensively. So, um, you know, I think, I, I think he's a guy, like you said, we're all rooting for him. And, I, and I'd like to see, I'd like to see at least an AHL contract, see what this guy can yeah. do, give him an opportunity see what he, you know, see what he brings to the lineup. And, and, you know, he, he might have that little bit of leadership in him now too, because he is, he's a confident kid. He can be cocky at times, but he's a confident kid. And that's what you want to see in these types of players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what I also really respected about, about his sort of intro uh, introduction interviews and stuff when he got to Toronto was how he actually talked about how much he respected Lou Lamorello and the way that they were running, running the show down there in Long Island. And obviously, um, Hosang wasn't drafted by Lamorello. Obviously, that was a completely different management team. But at the same time, it would have been so easy for him to come over to Toronto and say, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't like how things were in New York. I didn't like how they treated me. I'm looking to prove them wrong here. And while that would have been great, I think it really shows uh, growth and maturity on his part, the fact that he paid homage to – and he recognized that the Islanders are the team that took a chance on him originally. And he, he, he recognizes that, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out with the team. And he, he, doesn't, have, he doesn't seem to have any bad blood with the Islanders – which I think was really served as a testament to how he's grown both as a person, as a player, as a person and a player. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he did say he, he 
he'd be happy to start sharpening skates and even start in the ECHL if he has to. And obviously he's not going to start in the ECHL. He's just too good for that. But like you said, I mean, an AHL contract at the very least would be sweet to see because uh, I do think that the talent is there. And just while we're on this topic, I absolutely love that top line that the Leafs are icing with Hosang uh, and Bunting on Tavares' wings because, you know, when Tavares was in Long Island, he didn't have a Mitch Marner or a William Nylander play alongside. He was – not to say that his line mates weren't good, but it, it was clear that he was the best player on his line. And he's the type of player who can get away with playing with guys like that. And, you know, Michael Bunting and Josh Hosang aren't – they aren't William Nylanders and they aren't Mitch Marners, at least not yet, but – um, I, I think the fact that they had a couple of motors on each side of Johnny T and Michael Bunting, I mean, I've, I can't say enough about that guy. I think he's going to be Dubas' best signing this offseason. If he, if he's delivers, if he delivers as advertised, I think the best, uh, best case scenario for him. I, I, I remember watching when, when I watched him on Saturday, um, I truthfully, I saw a lot of Zach Hyman in Michael Bunting and, you know, there's all this talk about how, um, the Leafs kind of signed Bunting and Kasha and Richie all for the price of what Hyman's making over, Zach Hyman's making over in Edmonton. And I truthfully think that Michael Bunting alone possesses a lot of what Hyman had, especially early on in his career. But one thing about him that I think he has that Hyman didn't is the edge to his game. And, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not to say that Zach Hyman doesn't have an edge, but... Hyman was just known for being a hard worker. He was always Mm -hmm. the first one in the corners. He was the first one creating space for Matthews and Martin and letting them work. He was the first one in front of the net and, you know, getting right in the middle of the, uh, of the battles along the boards and stuff like that. And, but the thing is that he was never really a pest. Like you would never see him take an extra shove at a defenseman. Like he was a pretty clean player. Bunting has a little bit of that pest aspect. Like he, he was kind of playing the way that Zach Hyman did on Saturday but at the same time, he was in the middle of the scrum probably three or four times, and he was shoving guys back and forth. And, like, if he can he, – he's compared himself to Brad Marchand a million times. If he can possess that in Toronto, I, I, think, the Le- I think he's going to end up being the least best signing this offseason, truth be told. Yeah, I could, you know what? I couldn't agree with you more. And even just on his goal there, that he went hard to the net, stick on the ice – uh, knew knew what he was you know knew what he was going to do and and uh, you know played the body a little bit too to has that physical edge as you mentioned so I think I, I couldn't agree with you more I think Bunting is going to be a huge signing for the Maple Leafs as they move forward here I think well worth the the, the dollar amount um, and uh, yeah I mean it's just it's it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch and see what this this Leaf team can do because obviously like you said they have the depth there at, at camp uh, they're going to have to make a lot of tough decisions. Um, I do want to say, you know, obviously representing the John Tavares uh, foundation hat here, um, you know, seeing him back on the ice in, in that first preseason game, a lot of people question, you know, why are you playing a, a, that kind of vet in a, in the first preseason game? But I think it was just to, you know, he had to get those nerves out of the way. Um, this mm-hmm. is the guy who, who suffered a, a horrific injury. Uh, to end his season last year in game one against the Montreal Canadiens goes up against those same Montreal Canadiens, obviously different players on the ice, but those same uh, Montreal Canadiens in the first preseason game here. And he mentioned it afterwards. It went from anxiousness to excitement. Um, I, I couldn't be happier. He, he, he was able to get, you know, get a stick on, on uh, 
one of the shots there too that uh, that eventually went in. So you know, got a goal out of it as well. But he's a guy that needed to get that out of the way, get those mm-hmm. get those wiggles out of the way, get you know, figure out what was going on, uh, make sure that he's in game shape, ready to go, his head's in the right space. Um, but I, I I love seeing him back there, and you know. There were some people on on Twitter that could definitely rip into us for being excited about a preseason game, but the fact is the Leafs are exciting, and we love to be broken over and over again. And, you know, it is just a preseason game, but the Leafs won 4-1, so. And you know what? Here's what I'm going to say to people who who pull that whole, oh, it's just preseason card. Like, I think every single, well, maybe I won't say every single because they've got a pretty big fan base, but I would say the vast majority of Leaf fans understand that preseason does not mean shit in terms yeah. of the standings. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like if your team is seven Oh and Oh in preseason, great. But then the regular season starts and you're right back to square one. I think everyone knows that the games themselves don't matter, but man, and maybe this is just because I missed watching hockey, but that game yesterday, it just, I love the pace of preseason games because you're, you're icing rosters full of guys who are competing and guys who are trying to earn themselves a spot in the roster, and guys who are trying to prove themselves and earn themselves a contract, like like Josh Hosang, mm-hmm. who's a perfect example of that. Yeah. And I, I think when, you know, seeing the effort that the Leafs gave in Game 7 against Montreal, I think at the very least, all we can ask for as fans are efforts from guys who want to be there and come out every single night with that mindset of, like, you're playing for your, you're playing for your life, essentially, right? Like, you want to have that kind of energy out there on the ice every night. And that's what I'll say to people who say, Oh, it's just preseason. It's like, yeah, I, I don't think anyone's out here saying, Oh, the Leafs are the fucking best team in the Atlantic because they beat the, they're going to win the cup. They, they beat They beat a team that went to the, they, that went to the Stanley cup finals in 2021 in a preseason game. Yeah. Like nobody, uh, we're, we're all aware that it doesn't matter, but it's still exciting hockey to watch. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sitting here saying they're going to win the cup, but you know, maybe they'll win the cup. No, I'm just joking. Um, no, I I don't know. I, I just, I think the fact that there's hockey back, you know, you get to see a guy like Tavares get back on the ice. Um, <laughs> those, those are some, those are some key parts to, to, you know, getting excited for the season. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I love preseason. I think it's, you know, it, it, it just gets that, that vibe back in, in the fan base and yeah. I, I, I'm excited. I, four, one wins a four, one. Win. So am I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, with that though, uh, anything else you wanted to add there, Alex? No, I mean, uh, Lee hockey is back, baby. I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing what the rest of the guys are made of as we, uh, as group two takes the ice on Monday, which is when this episode will be up. But, uh, either way, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of the preseason and, you know, it, we're, I, I always love this time of year because, you know, the Jays are playing some meaningful September baseball yeah. right now. And you're, you're kind of seeing the crossover of when baseball shit's getting real there. And then you're also kind of sm- slowly bringing hockey back into the picture. I always love the time of year when hockey and baseball collide. We've got both sports on. So I think, uh, I think the, these next couple of weeks are going to be fun both on both front on, on both fronts there. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, anything that our, our listeners can expect from you over at the hockey Raiders. Um, not too much out of me, number of takeaways pieces from as many preseason games as I can, because I had one, I had one come out today that did really well. And uh, I think a lot of fans want to know who may not get the opportunity to watch preseason games. They, I think they'd want the opportunity to kind of catch up on what they missed. 
And uh, on top of that, I'm also going to be continuing my series previewing all of the Atlantic Division opponents because God knows, yeah, they, the Leafs have not played any of those American teams since 2019-20. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to refresh fans on what their rosters are looking like and what to expect from them this year. And I think the next team I'm going to be previewing is the Florida Panthers, in fact. So, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, I know we did not have any fan questions from any Kyles this week, but I did have uh, one interaction with a Leaf fan uh, that I did want to make note of. Um, a guy named Kyle, follow him at KF, KF underscore Kadri43. So I guess we did have an interaction with a Kyle. Is, is that another Kyle? It is another Kyle. It is another Kyle. Um, he, he, he sent out a tweet oh, saying oh, that uh, – oh, oh, my – We've gotten three questions so far, and they've all been from Kyle's. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Um, but he, he sent out a tweet, a uh, picture of his son in the hospital, obviously uh, uh, premature um, birth. Um, just said, my son may still be in the hospital, but that doesn't stop us from watching our first Maple Leafs game together. He's cheering for fellow premature dude, Nick Robertson. Go Leafs, go. So I wrote back, um, I, I, I had the opportunity to watch my first uh, – hockey game with my son while he was in the hospital recovering from surgery so on that front just kind of bonded with him and and that was that was fantastic so Kyle I hope uh, I hope your son's doing well and uh, hopefully he's out of there in in no time and and at some point in the next couple of years he gets his first pair of skates and gets on that ice because lord knows my son Oakley he just got his first first set of hockey sticks and first puck today so uh, 16 months old he's going to be going so um, you know, sending my thoughts and, and my prayers to you and your son and your family. Yep. And uh, hopefully everything works out for the best. First overall pick in the uh, 2039 NHL draft will be Oakley Forbes. That's that is right. a, that is a hell of a hockey name right there. That's I'm right. looking forward to seeing that name in the, uh, maybe, maybe we can get him on the podcast once he gets drafted. Eh? Yeah. Maybe we'll get him on at some point if we have to, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll make a guest appearance with him, but there um, you go. Yeah. Uh, with that, folks, uh, thank you again, as always, for tuning in. Uh, like I said, we were we were a little shorthanded this week, but um, we look forward to uh, talking again next week. Um, yeah, that's it. Episode 54 in the books of the podcast. You can give um, Alex a follow on Twitter at HobsonA16. You can follow myself at Andrew G. Forbes or the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N T H E 6 I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast to download our latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review check us out on youtube we've got a lot of great content going there as well and a big shout out to nick richard who joined us this week on the show as well uh until next time that's it for alex and myself and peter will be back next week as we hit episode 55